Sunday and Easter comes from Luke chapter 24. Kids, you might notice that there's a page number beneath that citation that says that it's in the Spark Bible, which looks like this, and there's a page number, page 488. If there are Spark, Spark Bibles around you and a kid who's looking for one, you can share that Bible with them. We encourage you to look up the story. Jesus himself stood among the disciples and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and from our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Years ago now, when I was a teenager, my family went on an extended vacation. While we were gone, a friend of my youngest brother, they were about 10 years old at the time, took care of our fish. Sadly, just a few days into our trip, the fish shuffled off its mortal coil, as they say, and my brother's friend was presented with a dilemma. What to do with the dead fish? This was years before cell phones were available, so he couldn't call us and tell us what had happened. He decided to find a small gift box at his house, which he did, put the fish carefully in it, and stuck it in his freezer. It's one approach. A few weeks later, when we got back, the two 10-year-olds, my brother and his friend, had a somber funeral procession from the friend's house down the street to our house. They strapped the gift box to the back of my brother's bike and rode slowly down the road to our house. They had a somber service of remembrance in the backyard, and then they lowered the gift box into the garden. A few minutes later, my brother's friend came barging into the house to the back door, and my mom asked him, how did it go? Oh, fine, he said offhandedly. Now, what are we going to eat? There's always food after a funeral. <laughs> I am not making this up, by the way. It turns out that my brother's friend, besides being generally correct about funeral etiquette, was also on to something about resurrection. Because although the stories of Jesus' resurrection in the four Gospels differ somewhat, Nearly all of them, at some point, involve food, including today's. Except this time, it's Jesus who barges through the door to his friends and says, Hey, do you guys have anything to eat? Now, this part of the story you read today is a continuation of an earlier resurrection story, that one that's actually in the Spark Bible. We didn't read that, but it's worth remembering. It all starts when Jesus appears to two of his disciples— are walking home from Jerusalem 
in their own somber funeral procession, trying to process everything that they had seen happen to Jesus. Although Jesus suddenly appears to these two and starts walking with them and talking with them, they don't recognize him. They don't know who he is. And in a moment that's both poignant and really funny, these two disciples start to explain to Jesus all the things that happened to their friend Jesus this last week in Jerusalem. To top it off, they say, some women of their group went to the tomb to anoint the body, but it was empty. They said he was alive. But these two aren't quite sure about that. There's been no hard evidence yet. And they, like so many others, are quick to dismiss what these women have said until there's a man to back it up. Although Jesus, as the gospel puts it, opens the scriptures to them and explains that everything they saw in Jerusalem does fit into the biblical story, they still don't know who this is, this stranger. They know only that he's compelling to them and they want him to stay. So they invite him to dinner. They sit down at the table and it's, that's where it happens. All that conversation they had on the road, all the talking, all the Bible study they did, it was important. It, it began to crack open their bruised and battered hearts, but it's not until they're at the table and Jesus takes a loaf of bread, he cracks it open, he blesses it, he gives it to them, that they realize who this is. This is Jesus, the one who is feeding them. And as they realize it, he vanishes from their sight. That's where we pick up our story today. Those two run back to Jerusalem and they are telling their friends what happened to them, realizing that their friends too have had experiences of the risen Christ, and suddenly Jesus is in the room with them again. Peace be with you, he says. Which is probably because they are startled and terrified. They think he's a ghost, which is the only category they have for seeing a dead person again. But Jesus insists that he's real. He invites them to touch him, touch his hands and his feet, his side, his skin, the warmth of his body, and finally to show them that this is all really happening, that this is real. He asks them that question. Do you have anything here to eat? Certainly part of what this gospel story is about is showing us that Jesus is really real. That the risen Jesus isn't a figment of someone's imagination or their grief-stricken mind, but a flesh-and-blood human who still breathes and chews and swallows and needs breakfast after a long morning. But maybe there's something else going on, too. Writer Debbie Thomas puts it this way. She says, maybe Jesus' question is really a gentle reminder. For in their fear and confusion, the disciples forgot the most basic rules of hospitality. Instead of offering Jesus food or water or a place to sit, they pulled away because they were suspicious and afraid. So Jesus reminded them of what he had called them to do feed the hungry. Friends, he said, do you have anything I could eat? Would you please feed me? 
And that changes everything. Eating together changes things. There sure is a lot of talking in the Gospels about the resurrection. There are lots of conversations and questions and the disciples trying to figure out what on earth has happened. But every time there gets to be too much talking, Jesus interrupts with something more earthy, more basic, more of the body. He offers his friends his, his woundedness, his hands and his side. He asks for something to eat. He reaches for a loaf of leftover bread and cracks it open and the crumbs go everywhere. Wherever and whenever his friends are frightened or sad or confused or just don't know what to do, Jesus shows up and tells them to stop talking and do something. How about if we eat, he says. We humans, we disciples, some 2,000 years later, we are still pretty good at the talking, at transforming faith into a series of ideas and words. We talk a lot, and certainly I can't throw any stones from my glass house up here about talking. We talk at each other. We talk past each other. We sometimes talk to each other. But for the most part, that's where our religion stays, in the land of ideas. And it's true that our ideas matter. How we think and talk about God matters. It shapes who we become and how we are in the world and how we treat other people. But Jesus, for all that he was a talker too, was never content to stay in the land of ideas. He was, from the very beginning, the word become flesh, flesh and bone, dwelling among us, moving into our neighborhoods, sitting at our tables. Jesus got in trouble for his words, but he got in just as much trouble for what he did with his body. He touched people who were not supposed to be touched. He ate with people who were not supposed to be at the table. When people were hungry, he didn't talk to them about spiritual nourishment from above. He sat them down. He found a kid with some bread and some fish. He blessed it. He broke it. And just for good measure, he made sure there was leftovers after dinner for 5,000. Over and over again, the risen Jesus shows his friends, doesn't just remind them, but shows them that faith isn't only a matter of the mind. It's our hands and our feet. It's our food and our drink. It's who's eating at our tables and where our feet take us in the world and how we see and treat the bodies of other people. It's our wounds, the ones you can see and the ones you can't, shared with each other. It's our hunger. It's our dirt under our fingernails from planting seeds and taking care of the earth. It's all those things that make us, like Jesus, really real. The things that make us messy. The things the ways we acknowledge that we are broken or scarred. All those things that make us so beloved to God. Easter starts at an empty tomb, but it becomes real at a table. God's promise of abundant life, of a healed life, of a whole life, 
takes the shape of basic stuff, bread and wine, people eating and drinking together, something we do all the time every day, made holy and divine. Because that's important. Jesus never ate with his friends in a pristine church sanctuary. He ate with them in their homes at their tables. We know that Jesus comes to us at this table in this bread and wine. But we might be tempted to forget that the holiness we experience at this table isn't limited to this table. When we touch Jesus in this bread and wine with these friends and neighbors here, when we are fed here, we are practicing a way of life that we take with us every day. God is showing us how to eat and drink, not just here, but everywhere. If this ordinary stuff can be holy here, it can be holy anywhere, at any table. And it is. At Salt House, our mission start congregation across town, they often say, good, sacred things happen, good and sacred things happen when we eat together. People are changed when we eat together. Or as the author I quoted earlier said, when the disciples fed Jesus, he fed them in return. The belief didn't come first. The food did. There's an invitation for us in that. That whenever we are the broken-hearted ones in our own funeral procession on the road, anytime we are tempted to choose suspicion and fear over hope, anytime we are looking around the world wondering where the risen Christ is exactly today, Jesus shows up to ask us a question. Maybe Easter is feeding the hungry. Maybe Easter is eating together. Because Jesus never stops asking, what are we going to eat, he says. There's always food after a resurrection. Amen. <laughs>